Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing that God has given us this opportunity to come together, to worship, uh, and now to open his word and study from it. I want to start by asking a question for us to consider. Um, and that is, what are you looking for in a church? What are you looking for in a church? You know, if we were to go door to door throughout this entire community and ask that question, we would probably get a hundred different answers. Uh, People's religious experience, family history, personal needs and preferences, the different stages of life that they're at make it uh, very different things that people are seeking. It makes for a very diverse religious community because not everyone is looking for the same type of church. Do you know that within a five-mile radius of our church building, there is approximately a hundred different churches? Uh, A lot of people are searching for a lot of different things, and evidently each of these churches tends to more effectively serve the needs or preferences of some segment of our society. And so for many people, choosing a church is just a matter of discovering which group is the right fit for them. Recognizing this, many churches have made it their aim to cater to the needs of their community. How can we serve the needs of the most people? Uh, The style of their worship, the structure of their services, the focus of their ministry is largely determined by what people are looking for. In fact, uh, you may or may not have heard of the Saddleback Church in Southern California uh, that boasts a Sunday attendance of over 20,000 people. Um, when they were first established by Pastor Rick Warren back in 1980, you may recognize his name as the writer of The, the Purpose Driven Life, um, to kick off their inaugural service, he sent out a letter of invitation to 15,000 homes in their community. And they still have this letter on their website uh, and featured prominently in the middle of that letter is the following statement. Do you think attending church should be enjoyable? Well, we've got good news for you. Saddleback Valley Community Church is a new church designed to meet your needs. How do you grow a church to 20,000 people? Well, you tailor make it to meet everyone's definition of enjoyable. And sadly, that's what many churches are aiming for. But God would urge us to adopt a different attitude. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul saw these two desires, these two priorities or motivations as being opposed to one another. If I'm simply trying to please men, he says, then I'm not a servant of Christ. If we want to be Christians, we want to be disciples of Christ, then first and foremost, our desire as a church, as a group of God's people, needs to be being who he wants us to be. If we want to be servants of Christ, our greatest concern must not be what people are looking for in church, but what God is looking for. 
Church must not be designed, first and foremost, to meet my needs, but structured to meet God's design and conform to his will. Instead of looking for my church, I need to be looking for God's church. I want to start a series of lessons today um, focusing on this concept of God's church versus my church. Where are you going to find God's church? Well, I certainly hope that you'll find it here at at 4314 Old William Penn Highway. Uh, I hope that that is what we're striving to be. Um, but, But I want to make it abundantly clear. What we're trying to accomplish in this lesson is not to say, well, look what we have figured out and, you know, everybody else needs to get on board. First and foremost, this is a lesson for us. This is a lesson for us to look in the mirror, to think about who it is that we're striving to be. Because while I hope that you can find God's church here at this location, I hope that's what we're striving to be. The only place you can be sure to find it is in the pages of your New Testament. And so that's where our focus is going to be. When we look at the pattern of the scriptures, at God's blueprint, God's design for his church, what does that look like? So we're going to examine the church of the New Testament, see how it ministered, see how it taught, evangelized, how it worshipped. And most foundationally, I want us to look at the example of the church's one true architect, which is Jesus Christ himself. If your Bibles aren't already open to John chapter 2, if you'll turn with me there now, we're going to read that here in just a moment. Um, But I want to start off... Uh, this lesson by focusing on the idea of benevolence versus big business. A man named Richard Halverson, who was once the chaplain for the U.S. Senate, said Christianity began in Palestine as a relationship, moved to Greece and became an idea, went to Rome and became an institution, and came to America and became an enterprise. A 2016 Georgetown University study revealed that religious institutions in America take in around $378 billion in annual revenue. In 2016, that was more than Apple and Microsoft combined. Why is it that religious institutions are making so much money? Well, to a large extent, it's because churches have found their way into just about every market of the private sector. Um, healthcare, education, music, film, apparel, just to name a few. And while it is certainly good for the influence of Christ to permeate every aspect of our society, uh, we need to challenge ourselves with the question, um, is that what God intends for his church to be? Has the American church lost its focus and strayed from God's design for its work and its ministry? Here in John chapter 2, We're going to see Jesus's reaction to the entrepreneurial spirit among the religious community of his day. I want to read again the the passage that Jason read for us, uh, but let's focus in on verse 14 through 16. John chapter 2, starting in verse 14, says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. 
Do not make my father's house a house of trade, or some versions say a place of business. Can you stop and, and try to imagine that situation for a moment? Imagine that you're there. Imagine you're standing in line, coming to Jerusalem to worship, getting ready to, to buy your sacrifice so you can go offer it. And all of a sudden, a man that you've never seen before comes in and he's got a whip and he's swinging it around and he is, you know, people are ducking, people are, are shuffling to the side. Uh, he's making animals run uh, and scurry out of the temple court. Uh, and then he, as he gets closer, he grabs the bottom of some tables and he turns them over. Uh, coins start rattling all over the floor. And he says, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a place of business. You know, th- there's perhaps no other time in the scripture that we see the, the passion and the anger of Jesus demonstrated so uh, apparently. Um, and yet, what motivated him to such fiery passion? What angered him so much? He says, do not make my father's house a house of trade, a place of business. You know, if you can imagine that scene in the temple court, can you imagine what Jesus might do in many churches today? You know, do you, do you think that there might be some, some coffee shops and gift shops uh, that would receive the same reaction from our Lord? And, and you might say, well, well, that's not the same thing because Jesus isn't rebuking any type of business transaction here. He, he, he's just rebuking the corrupt business practices. It is true in the other synoptic gospels. There are accounts of Jesus doing this um, where one of the things that he says is you've made, uh, my, my father's house is intended to be a place of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And so very clearly there was corruption going on as well, but that's not what Jesus focuses in on here in John 2, is it? It's not just that they were corrupt. He says, you've turned my father's house into a marketplace, into a house of trade, into a place of business. And that within itself is something that Jesus was passionately, zealously against. Zeal for God's house was consuming him against the thought of turning God's house into something Um, so physically and worldly focused. You know, you might understand why the Jews would justify this. Why why do you think that practice started? Why why do you think they started bringing animals into the temple court? Well, you know, these people coming to Jerusalem from foreign lands, they're coming and in their worship, they need to make sacrifices, right? It's pretty logical that they're not going to make their, their big journey and, and carry all these animals with them. No, they're going to come to Jerusalem. They're, they're going to purchase those animals while they're there, and then they'll sacrifice them. And what more convenient place to do that than right in the court of the temple? I don't, I don't want to have to go buy my animals somewhere else in Jerusalem, drag them across town, bring them to the temple. It makes good business sense, right, to buy these animals that I'm going to sacrifice here in the court of the temple. But think about money changers. Why were they changing money? Well, these people coming from, from different foreign lands have different currencies. They need to change out that currency for the, the proper currency so that they can make donations to the temple, right? That, that's a good thing. Well, and what better place to do that than right here in the court of the temple? But brethren, 
what is good business is corrupt religion. Just because it's logical, just because it's reasonable, just because it makes sense to us, and maybe even the original purpose behind it was, hey, we, we need these things for worship, right? Very quickly, it became something uh, that was whip-worthy, something that uh, angered our Lord uh, very deeply. You might say, well, okay, that, that's correct, but, but you know, the temple is not the same thing as the church building. And that is entirely true, right? In fact, in the New Testament, what, what is referred to as the temple, uh, look, look in 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. Here we read, And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What, what's the temple under the new covenant? Not, not this building that we're in. No, we are living stones being built up into a spiritual house. We are God's dwelling place. We are God's temple. But, but when you think about that, that, that doesn't just kind of free us not to worry about falling into this trap. In fact, it makes it all the more dangerous for us because corrupting God's temple and making its work and its mission something other than what God intended for it to be isn't just confined to one location. It's not just what we do inside these four walls. No, it's when we, as an assembly, as a church, as a a collection, collecting our, our resources together, pursue works and businesses and and other uh, endeavors that are contrary to God's will. And so I I would say the fact that this church building is not the temple um, doesn't make this less of a danger for us. In fact, it probably makes it more of a danger for us that we corrupt what God intends for his temple to be. Um, What the purpose, what is the purpose of the spiritual house? Do you see that? These stones being built together for a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. This is a place of worship. This is a place of service to our Lord, first and foremost. And so the mission and the goal of this temple uh, is not to bigger and better ourselves. It's not to be some popular social club, some house of entertainment, but to worship, honor, glorify and serve the God who owns this house, who purchased it with his own blood. We can't forget that. Anytime we assemble, anytime we pool our collective resources and function as a unit, we're not free to engage in whatever business seems good or profitable or wholesome or enjoyable to us. We need to be about our father's business. In fact, do you remember that phrase, be about my father's business? Um, That's a phrase found in the the New King James or King James Version in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn over to Luke chapter 2 with me, uh, you may remember this story where Jesus, at 12 years old, goes with his parents, with Mary and Joseph, to Jerusalem for the Passover. And... As it's 
drawing to a close, uh, and they start traveling back. There's uh, a, a caravan of people now returning uh, to their own lands. Evidently, uh, Mary and Joseph assume Jesus is with other relatives somewhere in that caravan, and they come to find out he's not there. Uh, they've already you know, taken a, a day's journey. Now they have to go back to Jerusalem. They have to find Jesus. Where is he? We don't know. They end up finding Jesus in the temple. Um, look in verse 46. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 46. It says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Uh, some versions say about my father's business. Literally, if we're going to translate it, it just means in the things of my father. What does Jesus mean by that? What is he talking about when he says that he was about his father's business or in the things of his father? Did he stay behind to help the, the temple, you know, organize its livestock sale um, or, or its bake sale or, you know, organize the temple basketball team uh, or, you know, he, he was staying for the temple youth lock-in that they were going to have. Is that what Jesus is talking about? No, when he says, I, did you not know I must be about the things of my father? What was he doing? He was in there discussing God's word. He was in there uh, listening to and asking questions to the priest, um, discussing God's word and God's will. When we think about being about our father's business, what, what exactly is that? What, what is the, the job description of the church? If we are to be about our father's business. Uh, we need to be very clear on what that is. In Mark chapter 11, verse 15 through 17, we have another account, uh, perhaps another instance in which Jesus cleanses the temple. Uh, in this account, it's, he says specifically, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a robber's den. What was the house supposed to be? What was God's temple supposed to be? What was the business of our Lord? It says it was a house of prayer. A house where people would seek the Lord. Where they would pray to him. Where they would give thanks and praise him. Where they would worship. It was a place of devotion to the Lord. What about the Lord's church today? What is it intended to be? Is it intended to be something else than that? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20 through 22. Here we see many Christians in Corinth were, were coming to Christ from a pagan background. Um, they were used to a type of worship that would have been much more fleshly and self-indulgent. And so they were corrupting the Lord's Supper. They were missing the, the intent and the purpose of it. And it says here in verse 20, in your eating, each one takes his own supper first and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? 
Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. There are a lot of problems going on here, right? There's division because they they have made this into a self-indulgent feast. This is about serving my appetites. And so I'm going to make sure that I have the food that, that I want here and that my appetites are being satisfied. They're completely neglecting the communion that the Lord's Supper was intended to uh, have. They're also neglecting the remembrance, first and foremost, that the Lord's Supper was supposed to have. They're making this into a common feast, a common meal. And one of the things that Paul says is, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? You know, is it it wrong for us to satisfy our earthly appetites? (laughs) Of course not. You know, God has given us bodies that need food. Uh, And so, you know, Every day, we have opportunities to, to feed our, our physical needs. But what Paul is pointing out is that that's not what the Lord's Supper is about. That's not what the assembly is about. That's not the business of the church phys- feeding your physical appetites. You want to do that? Do that in your homes. Right? And in fact, we see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Uh, we see the church was breaking bread from house to house, taking their meals with gladness. They, they were doing that together right? But they weren't corrupting what the church was supposed to be into something that was focused simply on physical needs, on physical appetites. Um, That is not the business of uh, our father. And so, you know, if we want to get in the business of recreation, right? If we want to get in the business of entertainment, if we want to get in the the business of, uh, you know, uh, social connections, individually, of course, those are great things that we can be involved in. Uh, There's nothing wrong with entertainment within itself. Now, granted, in our world today, there may be a whole host of things wrong with entertainment. But, uh, you know, if we want to get in entertainment, recreation, those things are good. Those things have a place, right? In fact, when you think about John 2 in selling these animals, is it that nobody should have been involved in that business? Well, no, that's not the problem. You, you want to do that in the streets of Jerusalem? You want to change out your money? Would that be legitimate? Yeah, as long as they're not stealing people's money, right? Um, you, you want to sell those animals in the streets of Jerusalem? Yes. But do not make my father's house a place of business, right? What we're supposed to be doing in our own homes, what we can be doing individually and what God has designed his church to be involved in are not the same thing. And so we need to be very careful that we are fulfilling what God intended uh, his church to be. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 26. You know, why do we do what we do in the assembly? Uh, before we read this passage, uh, you know, d- did somebody just sit down one day and say, you know what, I, I think it would be really cool if the church sung. I, I like singing. I like music. H- how about we, we sing together? And you know what, um, how, about, uh, how about we eat some bread and we eat some uh, and we, we drink some, some grape juice, and that would be a good way to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, right? Was that something we came up with? 
Is anything that we do within this assembly something that we just came up with and we think this is a good idea? It's not supposed to be that way, right? No, everything that we do as a church is we, we look back to what we see. God has shown us his church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to accomplish, what its mission is. And everything we do is by the authority of King Jesus, not by our own ideas. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26 Again, the church in Corinth was having a whole host of problems in what they were doing within the assembly. He says, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. You know, the Corinthians were were doing some things that they should have been doing and that God wanted them to be doing. They were misusing them for other purposes, for self-glorification. He says... Let all things be done for edification. What does that word mean? You know, that, that comes, uh, uh, the etymology is similar to our, our English word edifice, building, right? This is the idea of building up. We talked about us being living stones. What, what is everything that we do as an assembly supposed to be accomplishing? Building up, edifying the spiritual house that God has created. And if that's not what we're doing, then we've made God's house something else, right? If, if what we're engaging in is not distinguishable from what you could find at the Lions Club or the Kiwanis Club or the YMCA, then we have forgotten what we're supposed to be as a church. God has a specific mission, a specific intention for his body, his temple, and we need to be that and nothing else. Well, does that mean that monetary transactions have no place within the church? Well, clearly not. We see some specific instructions about giving, but I think we need to go back to the biblical pattern here. What we see within the scriptures is generosity, not gimmicks. We see that the church did maintain some form of of treasury, uh, but the means of acquiring those funds and the type of work that those funds were used to support are much different than we may see in many modern churches today. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Again, to the church in Corinth. Paul writes, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Here, Paul gives some very specific instructions on what the church in Corinth was supposed to do. And granted, he is talking about a specific need at this time. They they were collecting funds for needy saints in Jerusalem. But he's setting down some principles of how they handle um, the the work of the church. Uh, In fact, these principles that he's teaching them are no different from the principles that he taught the churches of Galatia. uh, And presumably other churches that that Paul was uh, working with. 
And the principles that he lays down for us uh, is that we should, on the first day of the week, when they were already assembling together to break bread, to remember the Lord's death, uh, each of them was to set aside something that he had prospered. Um, so that when Paul came back around, uh, they wouldn't have to say, oh, you remember that need we talked about? Well, it's here now. Um, does anybody have anything to give to it? No, they, they were to, on a regular basis, week after week, as they assembled together, uh, be setting aside money to prepare for that need. Um, it was likely uh, at least a year, if not two years, uh, between the time that Corinth would have received these instructions to the time that they actually gave that collection to Paul. Um, it's not just that they were only addressing immediate needs. They were, in fact, preparing for a future need as well. So they were maintaining some type of collection there. But the instructions that they were given uh, were not to come up with some sales-driven fundraising scheme, right? They uh, were to support the Lord's work through freely and sacrificially given uh, contributions. This was not to be a market-driven ministry, but a generosity-driven ministry. Look, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, we read, Each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is honored, God is glorified when we freely and joyfully give to the work of his church. You know, I, I grew up hearing the idea that there were, there were five acts of worship. You know, we, we sing, we pray, we study God's word, uh, we, keep, uh, we observe the Lord's Supper, and we, we give. I think that may be a, a little bit overly simplistic. Um, you know, I'm not sure that all of those things would necessarily be referred to as worship. Um, but the more and more that I think about the idea of giving being worship, I think that is a very biblical idea. Um, think about the Old Testament. Think about in the Old Testament how worship was expressed to God. We, we talked about that and, and the people coming to the temple, what were they bringing? They were bringing of their means. They were bringing of their livestock. They were taking something that could have been feeding their family on the table and instead they were burning it on the altar of the Lord, recognizing, God, you are worthy. You are worthy of this, right? That's not a whole lot different than what we do when we take of our livelihood and we give it to the Lord because he is worthy. His work, his people, and the needs of that work and the needs of those people are worthy of, really, of all that we can give them. And so I think when we think about God's design for this, God designed for us to honor him and glorify him by this act of sacrificial uh, and free will giving. What, what happens when that doesn't seem to be working so well? You know, people aren't giving the way that we want them to. And you know what would be really effective? You know, if, if we start selling some things, you know, and, and what do people want? Well, you know, people 
People like coffee, people like donuts, people like this, they like that. They would like this activity, they would like that activity. You know, I think we'd be able to raise a lot more funds. We'd be able to bigger and better ourselves if we started getting into some of those things. Is that what God told us to do, though? Is that his pattern? What, really what that's doing is that is robbing us of the opportunity to praise and glorify God in the way that he instructed us to. By honoring him through giving of what he's prospered us. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, there's a situation where David is wanting to make an offering to the Lord. And he is going to do this on the threshing floor of a man named Arana. Uh, And Arana, you know, this is King David. He says, you can have the threshing floor. And here, here are the animals to to make the sacrifice. Notice what David says. Here in 2 Samuel 24, 24, it says, However, the king said to Arana, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. What was David's attitude? I'm not going to offer what, what you have to the Lord. That's not worship. That's not honoring the Lord. I'm not going to offer something to the Lord that costs me nothing. But is that what we're doing when we try to help people give to the Lord by, by them getting something out of it, Right? Being getting some earthly or, or, or fleshly thing out of it, uh, you know there, there are there are churches in our area um, that pride themselves on the idea of being a marketplace ministry. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that term, but basically the idea of this this marketplace ministry model is we we're not going to ask you to give your money. Um, we're going to you know set up things that. We're going to sell in our foyer and we're going to have activities that, that you can pay for your kids to be involved in. And that's how we're going to fund everything. Um, we're not asking you to, to give something for nothing. You, you give for what you want to get out of this and it's a win-win. You know, that sounds like really good business, right? But brethren, that's corrupt religion. That is not what God intended for his people to be. And I, I, I don't want to say any of that, for us to, to look out at other people and say, well, whew, thankfully we're not like that, right? No, I think we need to take a hard look at whether or not our attitude and our mindset is accomplishing what God intended for us to be. Are we about our Father's business? Or are we making his house into something that it's not? Jesus was very, fairly zealous, fairly passionate about making sure that his father's house was a place of worship, was a place of prayer, was a place of, of devotion, of seeking the Lord. Let's make sure that we're about our father's business. Let's make sure that that's what we're striving to be. Uh, I am very thankful uh, that, that the brethren here are, are committed to trying to be the church that we see in the New Testament um, but that's never something that we're just going to achieve and reach, and we got it now. Um, that's going to be something that day by day, we're going to need to worry about our blinders. We're, we're going to need to make sure that we're coming back to the scriptures, that we're striving to be in every aspect 
what King Jesus wants us to be. He is the builder and architect of the church. Let's not make it anything other than what he intends for it to be. What about you today? Um, what about me? Uh, you know, there, there's another aspect in which the Bible talks about uh, the temple of the Lord, and that, that's us individually, that God's spirit is dwelling within us as Christians. How, how good of a temple are we being for the Lord? Um, is this a pure and a holy place for God to dwell within my heart, within my life? If not, by God's grace, um, Jesus is willing to come in and cleanse your temple. <laughs> that may be a difficult thing. <laughs> that may mean him driving some things out. Um, but if you're willing to let him do that, you can be pure and holy in God's sight. You can have your sins, the burden of guilt washed away. You can bury the old man of sin in the waters of baptism. You can be raised to walk in newness of life. That's what we want for you. That's what God wants for you. If there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, uh, that's why we're here. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, there's some way that we can uh, encourage you or help you. Won't we make that known at this time by coming to the front uh, as we stand and sing together?